welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive. In this episode, we talk about uh, the New Testament letter of Jude. I'm joined by Pastor Dan Borth from our Mid-Rivers campus, and we're going to ask questions like, how did we get the Bible that we read? And what do we do whenever the Bible uh, references material that we're not familiar with, uh, from whether it's the Old Testament or uh, sources outside of the Old Testament, um, even? Uh, In our conversation, we did misspeak. There was a moment where we do talk about um, some of the material found in Jude and where it comes from. Um, I think we, we mentioned that it comes from the gospel of Moses and we, we quoted the, the wrong verse, uh, for that, uh, material. And so anyway, we'll put a disclaimer in the show notes, uh, where you can look up, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, background or a little more accurate conversation. However, the point of this conversation really is just this is we want to handle God's word. We want to handle it faithfully. We want to handle it well. And we recognize that we're stepping in often to a conversation that's already happening into a story that's already been written. And we don't have all the context for that at all the times. And so uh, anyway, you can find uh, that uh, rendition or redaction uh, in the show notes. Um, But I hope that you enjoy this conversation uh, between me, myself, and uh, Dan Borth. Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive, where we take a look at the passage or the topic of focus from the weekend, um, take a deeper look at it, a closer look at it, ask some questions, uh, have some conversation around particular uh, items that there just either isn't uh, time or um, it's not as prudent, right, in the message to, to get to. And so... Yep. Um, but all, all Scripture is God-breathed. We are committed to that conviction that we find in... Um, Paul's, you know, letter to Timothy, and uh, so we want to we want to do due diligence, especially when we're going through a a small book like Jude, where we do have the opportunity to take a look at um, a lot of yep. a lot of things. And it's interesting, right? So, uh, Dan, this weekend you um, you spent time. We're kind of working backwards, but we're working backwards in a way that's. Uh, last week was the last two verses. This week was the second to last two verses. And we only have one week left in Jude, uh, which means that's not even really the rest because we're going to go up to the front, right? Of, well, just to Jude. the two verses before that. Yeah. So, like, yeah. there's so much um, that we really aren't going to get to. That's right. Uh, and, that's o- and that's okay. I think one of the things that uh, when you think about how to preach um, topically or expositorily, I don't know if that's a word, exegetically. No, nah, that's not good because you can do topical exegetically as well. Um, there, there's this well, like welcome fall. to the tortured <laughs> mind of teaching team. Yes, there's a there's a. I feel like there's a false premise that to be faithful to the text, mm. you have to give. Um, like fair credence to every word and mm. every verse. And yep. that's not to say that not every verse is inspired to the same level, but that is to say that not every verse has um, carries as much of the thrust of the meaning of the passage yep. um, and ha- has application, right, for well, us. And we've been re- wrestling with, um, at least in conversation, and, and not... I, I wouldn't say deep wrestling, but we, we do talk frequently about what's the point of the sermon on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then are there other ways to do other faithful things? So this deep dive, if you're tuning in, you're actually uh, participating in the plan, mm-hmm. uh, in the design of the Jude series, because what we're talking about last week, this week, and next week are those places that um, 
they they it's not that they're not sermon material, um, but in terms of what I wanted to say uh, in this series, uh, they were just outside of the scope of that, and they require some time and more question asking than a sermon format is designed mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like today, uh, at least at Mid Rivers what I've been reading is an abridged version of Jude Mm -hmm. and anybody who is curious has been reading what's between the verses Mm -hmm. that I'm reading out loud. And what they're finding is things that, um, are you going to go to message translation this week? (laughs) We could, I don't have any heartburn over the message No, I don't either. because I read commentaries frequently Mm -hmm. for understanding and insight. And Mm -hmm. the message is a tremendous commentary. Mm -hmm. Um, especially through a, a, a recently modern eye. Well, it, so, gets, it gets such yeah. a poor rap because so, – so all translations are interpretations. Like we have to make – That's right. We have That's to right. make certain dis- – uh, we. The, the translation committees had to make certain decisions. Why are you translating uh, this word as this word? when you could also translate it as this word, this word, this word, this word, and still be faithful. So there's all these things that the translation committees are are wrestling with. Um, Every translation committee has their own purpose um, and what they've been essentially uh, hired by publishers to to do Um, with the common, I think, goal of being faithful to the text. Uh, The message was a translation that uh, Eugene Peterson, his team put together and, and had a very clear purpose. We're trying to write Scripture. We're trying to translate Scripture in a way that's just yep. very fresh and very yep. understandable. Um, All translation is art. Yeah, that was one of my biggest mm-hmm. takeaways. But that's a great teaser for next week. So tune in next week mm-hmm. on the deep dive. We're going to look at uh, using modern uh, m- modern tools for understanding the ancient languages mm. and asking those questions around uh, the text of our, our Bible. How do we know that it's uh, accurate mm-hmm. and how do we understand it? And then from scholar to, uh, you know, the person sitting in, in church on Sunday morning or watching online, their translation of the Bible, why can they trust it? And what do we look for? So I'm really looking forward to that yeah. as well. That's great. When we look at uh, Jude uh-huh. and we start bumping into the things that we didn't read uh-huh. out loud, uh, we start reading things like this. I want to remind you, uh, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So really interesting verse, verse 6, um, clearly referencing something we know from the Old Testament story, uh-huh. and yet it's asserting that Jesus is there. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't remember reading Jesus when I read through Exodus. Charlton Heston might have slipped out of character once or twice in a, in a very Christ-like messianic way. But outside of that, give us a 10 second, like what is Jude doing in naming Christ in the old Testament story that we know? Yeah, no, that's great. So, uh, oh man, 10 seconds. I don't know if I can do that. 11, 11 seconds. Give me 11 seconds. Yeah. So. Well, I would say not even just Jude, right? Big picture. New Testament uh, writers are already, um, they are operating within a particular understanding of, of God's salvific story, um, God's story of redemption. And uh, looking at past events, past moments, past experiences, um, and, and essentially reinterpreting them in light of new information um, is, is, is one thing, right? And so uh, everything that all these New Testament writers are doing is shaped by uh, the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, 
the teachings of Jesus where he came on the scene and essentially reinterpreted famous and well-known passages of the Old Testament. And so uh, is is he saying that Jesus is there? Uh, it's probably a stretch. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but if Jesus is the ultimate deliverer and God, is, is ultimately we see that, we, we see that G- it's not a stretch to say, hey, Jesus was a deliverer of God's people at any point in time. Yeah, that's right. I, I not that's right as in good job, but like yeah, yeah. thank you, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, that that makes sense uh, to me. He continues and says the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, mm. uh, those he has kept, God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise um, engaged. Oh, I am so sorry. I need to silence that my, my wife just called if you heard the vibrating uh, from my phone on the table and uh, Mandy says hi but uh, he continues and says at, at Sodom and Gomorrah they pursued um, immorality and became an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire mm-hmm. so we went from something we know we can point to Exodus this yep. is when and where the people came out of yep. Egypt um, immediately we get into some grayer area and Jude is talking about, um, an understanding of angels, mm-hmm. um, angelology. Mm-hmm. There's, there's my, there's my word, word for the day. And, um, we do have some reference Genesis, uh, six, I, six, one to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some reference there and there's other places that we understand some of what we believe to be true about angels, but here, according to the Bible Project, which has a really mm-hmm. helpful video on Jude, um, there's we'll a link an, that in the show notes. Yeah, it's good. There's another uh, work that Jude's readers would have known. It's not from our Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and and I don't know that Jude is saying because I'm referencing it, it is Bible. He, mm-hmm. I think he's just referencing it because the people knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's called the the Gospel of Gospel Moses. Of Moses. Well, and and let's make a let's make an uh, an. Uh, an analogy to something that uh, we as readers of scripture would be maybe a little bit more comfortable with. Um, What Paul is doing in Acts chapter 17 at Mars Hill, right? Whenever he is, Mm. um, he's preaching or he's he's preaching the gospel. Um, He is speaking to a Greek audience who, and he's using their philosophers and poets uh, to make a point. Now, that's not like their poets, their philosophers are not trying to be Bible, right? But he's using it because there's some truth that can be revealed in it. He's using it because it's a mechanism for his his rhetoric. He's using it to to make the point, to drive home the point that he's making. So he's not he's not claiming that these things are correct, That's right. right? And I think Jude is doing something similar here, um, in that we're entering into a conversation that's already happening. That's right. Right. And so there are things that, man, we in 21st century North American, what we believe to be true or we say is true, like little you know, popular sayings that you might see on social media or on a Christian T-shirt that is not a quotation of the Bible. And yet it is part of uh, our um, extra canonical sure, sure. Uh, scripture. Right. And so I think that's what he's doing. He's like, hey, you guys are familiar with this story. This is your understanding of this. And. Let's use that to tell the story that we're that I'm That's trying right. to tell. That's right. That's right. It raises this question of what is um, so the word canon is mm-hmm. um, kind of the 
proper word for the the full text of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of the the books and the letters that go into what we call the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the canon, and that's been. Um, looked at, considered, even argued over uh, a long, long time ago and has been faithfully kept together and brought to us in this day. So in canon, we we get this idea of authoritative uh-huh. scripture, authoritative works. I remember um, it must have been right after uh, I graduated high school. It was when Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code and uh, the, the things mm. that started pointing to mm-hmm. the not the canonical books of the New Testament, but the other things that were yep. written, the gospel according to Thomas. And, and the extra canonical. Right. Not extra as in like super canonical, extra as in in addition to. That's right. Not bonus points, yeah, yeah. But, but just material that was yeah. written in a similar time. Yeah. And I remember seeing a news um, broadcast, actually, where the the broadcaster, and I'm sure they were teasing it out so people would tune in, but, you know, are there more books to the New Testament that we don't know about? Basically, discovery did, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Did somebody what do we keep, do with this? Did somebody keep this from us? Yeah. And then we, and then our minds jump to That's the extreme, right. right? Like the, we assign malicious intent. Right. Rather than ask better questions about, right. well, why do we have what we actually have? That's right. Because what I've come to, for my own self, in my own mind, I'm very at peace with this. Um, <laughs> the the text, the, the, the canon that we have wasn't created in ignorance of all the other writings. Mm-hmm. It was actually more or less defined because of the other writings. Yep. And it wasn't necessarily, it was a value judgment on authority not a value judgment on um, we want to win, we want to silence. It was more about this is what we know to be true, yeah. and so canon becomes useful because it it gives us um, it gives us a, an authority to understand all the other writings by. It gives us a, a vantage point when um, the. Bible was first being tra- the New Testament was first being translated mm-hmm. into common language, so mm-hmm. into Latin Vulgate. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, the I think it was Jerome. He was he was heading that up, and they translated both uh, the the canonical texts mm-hmm. and the apocrypha, mm-hmm. which are some extra canonical texts, not all. Well, and if you have a if you've a, if you grew up Catholic or have any experience, I mean, it's one of the main right. questions. Hey, there's books in my Bible that aren't in. Your Bible. And I would imagine most of our listeners, now that um, online platforms are becoming more accessible mm-hmm. and more prominent, and that um, you'll go into certain tables of contents and you'll bump into names that you've never seen before. Yeah. So what are those? Well, those were ancient writings. What's interesting, though, is Jerome is said to have had a very clear distinction between canon and extra canon, between authority and just other affirming uh, inspirational writings. Mm -hmm. But the way he talks about the two, even from the earliest set of translations, is is not as though they're equal, but as though canon is authoritative and gives light on everything else. Mm -hmm. So here we see Jude referencing something his readers know, we do not. And what he's doing is is he's... um, it's, there's some irony. He is writing what becomes a text of our scripture, but he's writing in a way that says this this thing that you, this story you know, or these comments that you've heard from the Gospel of Moses, they're telling the truth of the matter mm. to a degree. Not that that's canon also, 
but they're talking about the kind of judgment that God does bring, which we do see clearly in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. of our canon. Mm -hmm. So he brings this up. It feels a little uncomfortable for us because we don't know the story. We do know the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And so we understand his point. Well, in in all of these, one of the things I was, as I was reading, um, there's a book here. I'm going to not lift it up or make too much noise with it. Um, Commentary on the New New Testament use of the Old Testament. It's a fantastic resource because what it does is it goes through the New Testament verse by verse and points out any allusions, any references, any connections to Old Testament, but also to other writings. Yep. Um, it places it and it gives context right to whatever the book is and uh, helps us understand, well, what would the, the hearer, the listener, yeah. the original listener, like what would they be aware of yep. and be thinking that I with, you know, 2000 years separation might not be. Yeah. And I would guess that it's actually very helpful in uh, verses nine. um, (laughs) Well, verse nine, uh, when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that is that's not just on the edge. Like we do not have that story. We don't have that story in our Old Testament or from what I can gather in other notes, anywhere else. It's it's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> yeah. But Jude is clearly talking about something um, that it, if, we, if we get too hung up in, oh, no, what's he talking mm-hmm. about, we could miss the point. But yep. I think his point is very clear that, that it's uh, – apparently it was said. It was a story that, mm-hmm. that um, was going around in their community. But the idea is that even, even a, a chief angel – wouldn't feel the need to um, slander uh, Satan, mm-hmm. but instead would leave that up to the, God the Father, God the Creator's judgment, to like Yahweh's judgment, which I actually I find that kind of convicting and compelling because I kind of like to rail against the things that are evil mm-hmm. um, and pronounce my own judgments, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it were. But maybe um, you know, maybe there's more a more humble way. Um, so yeah, so it just keeps going. Uh, verse 11, they walk in the way of Cain. They abandon themselves to Balaam's error. Uh, they, they perished in Korah's rebellion. These are all clearly Old Testament illusions. Yep. Um, even the stuff, the hidden reefs, the shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves of the sea, wandering stars. All of those images show up in our prophetic books. Yeah. So Jude is like masterful at... at it's incredible. Bringing, it's a little... Uh, if it's okay. Like a Bob Dylan song. Hmm. Like he's able to say so always much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I was listening to uh times. They are a changing this yeah, morning. Okay. Um, he, you know, like a, he is a great author. And so he's referencing many, many things. He's doing a lot of work with a very few words and he's drawing up a lot of um, strong images for mm-hmm. his readers. And also he's building a very strong case of warning. Hmm. That like the good news, like we talked about, yep. um, it is possible to misconstrue the good news. Let the good news be the best news and let it do its work. Don't don't trade it. Don't get duped. Don't follow something that's less than the good news. Yeah. Um, and then verse 14. Then Okay, before we get to verse 14, okay. I, okay. I want to say one of the uh, – oh, man. A method – of interpretation, um, we have the propensity to get caught up in the details, yeah. Which is ironic 
on a podcast where we're talking about the details, <laughs> right? This is true. Welcome uh, to the deep dive. <laughs> Uh, we do like so even in these verses that you just referenced, you know, Old Testament verses that Jude is quoting or making allusions to, it, it's not about the details as much. I mean, it is part of us. Like we do have to look in verse six. Okay, well, hey, who are these sons of God? Right? Yeah. Like um, that they're you know are the angels and and there is some interpretive issues going on in Genesis even with the nature of are they kings? Are they you know? Angels that have inter, you know, fallen angels that have intermarried and <laughs> procreated with human. Like, what's going on there? Which Ridley Scott movie, yeah. <laughs> like, captures this best? Yes, and and understanding the illusion in its proper setting in the Old Testament is helpful for us to best understand what the New Testament author yep. is intending to say and what he's yep. trying to do. But at the same time, at the end of it. It's clear he's he's focusing on the judgment, yeah. and it's the the occasion at hand for which he's writing, yeah. which is these false teachers. And if, um, oh gosh, I wrote it down here because this is is good. But um, the eschatological judgment of the angels, mm. right, um, who sinned, like is sure. Like we we know they're already in yep. prison, and yet how much more sure is the judgment of those who know. Jesus or who have heard the good news and yet reject it. Yeah. Right. And and that's where Judah's really taking right. this section. Right. So And he's not the only biblical author to do that. Hebrews, no. yeah. uh, Peter. Um yeah, something just came to mind that I think is an important uh rabbit trail. What happens when you are part of a conversation mm-hmm. and you realize that the the other people in the conversation have more history than you do. And so you hear them talk about things that you don't know and you feel, man, I, I maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I need to fit in. I have, I, I can admit I'm man enough to admit that I have, I have feigned uh, knowledge of like subject matter to try to fit into a conversation. Yeah, I've, I've read that book. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good. That's, it, was right. a, it was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. That movie. Oh, that was f- that, fantastic. Yeah. I'm not trying to lie here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We do that a yeah. lot. And something should happen when we read passages of Scripture that we're not familiar with what yeah. they're talking about. There's two directions we can go, I, I think. Uh, we could either fake it, mm-hmm. which sometimes is what happens when we try to say, oh, here's all the references. Mm-hmm. References are very objective and very mm-hmm. um, they're just informational. It's, it's a way to look up something. Yep. What we really ought to be doing is saying, I'm not, I don't know that story yet. I'm going to make time to learn it. And not like a, here's a test that I need to pass so I can throw out details so I can prove that I know and prove that I'm in. Yeah. It's more like, I heard grandpa mention something about the 1930s and I need to know what that was like for him. Hmm. I need to go learn that story so I know more about me. Like that's the, this is the kind of authority we hmm. have is family authority, not... Um, credibility based on how much detail we can keep in order. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. Well, how often like, on Twitter or social media do we read a headline and share it without having actually read Brad, the article itself? I have a confession to make. Yeah. Coming coming to you live on the deep dive. You're not on Twitter, are you? Oh, I am, uh, loosely, uh, okay. because of friends. But um, last week we sat down here and you said... Did you hear what happened with Will Smith uh-huh. at the Oscars? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I started faking having any knowledge <laughs> at all. I didn't look that up until like the next day. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure um, 
you know, in that moment, like I, I trusted you. There wasn't sure. a question of sure. that. But it's funny how much I didn't want to be on the out of that. Yeah. Um, but mm. I, I really didn't have any any like commentary on what I feel like I read or saw. Yeah. I just I just feel this deeply. We sometimes we teach people unintentionally to do that with scripture, to mm. fake knowing it, you know, or to know like the most the most like non heart transformative parts of it as if that's the entry to the conversation. The real entry to the conversation is to know the story we're part of and mm. to know the good news. That's really good. And it's scope. That's really good. Yeah. Get curious, people. Get curious. Keep your Bibles open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last thing uh, with the couple minutes we have, yep. the most clear uh, extra canonical reference here is in verse 14 and continuing. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who we read about in Genesis, but we uh-huh. do not get any spoken words from him. But Jude says, he's saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Direct quotation. Right. Yeah. Um, and we bring that out here. And the reason it's in quotes here is because we have the, the first Enoch writing. Yep. And scholars are able to understand Jude is pulling these words from that space. Yeah. Uh, what do you understand about Enoch? Yeah, not much. Um, I mean, even this in this section here, it, it does. It is clear we're stepping into again a uh, there. There is a, a theology, right? A popular theology that um, Jewish people possessed at this time that involved um, our their participation in God's judgment on the last day. That's, so, that's, so that's developed um, from, you know, some of the um, apocalyptic writings, uh, and the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, it's developed from extra canonical sources like First Enoch. It's developed from commentaries from... Uh, this rabbi and this rabbi and this rabbi, right? right. And so again, it's an important thing. We need to step. We're stepping into a conversation, a train of thought that already um, existed, with the purpose being um, kind of what we said, not in the details, but in in the in the the, right. the big idea here. Uh, yeah, first Enoch, right? It's part of the apocrypha, so it's part that's of right. this um, this source material that's um, that didn't meet the qualifications for being included in at least our Protestant Bibles. Well, right. And these, these were the ones that were translated, uh-huh. but not treated as canon. They yep. were just treated as accompanying worth a reading. Yeah. So, yep. so again, I don't know specifics on First Enoch, but one of the things I would say, if it wasn't included, then it didn't match whatever criteria. So it's authorship. If, if the authorship was unknown, right, and a lot of these... Um, these writings, they they had a, a, a an author who um, wasn't actually the well, author. They were, they were the hidden book. on purpose. They were hidden on purpose. Yep. The pseudepigrapha, yep. like they had a purpose in in almost impersonating a that's right another person. And like for the reader, they would actually be aware of this. That's that right. It wasn't. It was almost written from this person's vantage point to offer history after the fact with a particular story or a particular interpretation in mind. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of material from what I understand, and uh-huh. this would have been intertestamental period, uh-huh. so the 400 years where nothing canonical was written. Yep. Um, people were still trying to make sense of their 
you know, they're, they're oh, living the as the story that God. they're in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And Enoch is helpful for us because all of the Apocrypha, um, as people study those things as pieces of literature, we understand a little bit more of how works like Daniel or even Revelation yep. are functioning. Uh, the way that they do things. So, well, and we understand more about the Jewish people who were the first recipients of the gospel story and the writings of the New Testament. For sure. As well. For sure. I have always in my mind imagined the apocryphal writings um, as uh, like graphic novels, like comically illustrated, <laughs> you know, and like yeah. big battles and fights. And I don't know if that's accurate at all. Well, it's it's these writings. You get stories of, I remember being in a, oh, we got time. Yeah, we got time for it. Uh, a, a service at a church up in Michigan um, the weekend after Christmas okay, or the week of Christmas. So it was, it was very close. So it wasn't their Christmas Eve service, but it was, you know, the Sunday where there's a little bit lighter attendance and, you know, what are we going to do? So anyway, the pastor, uh, I don't even remember what, uh, Gospel of Thomas, maybe he was, okay. he was uh, referencing. Okay. And it's a story of, like, we don't have many stories in scripture of Jesus between being a baby and being, you know, 30 years old doing ministry. And so certain um, certain apocryphal writings imagine what would boy Jesus be like or teenage Jesus be like. And so some yeah. of the stories even that we're sharing is like, oh, yeah, hey, probably not true. Yeah. Because it doesn't. Not canon. Up, not canon. But. Interesting. An interesting exercise for me to imagine what a younger Jesus might have been sure. like. Sure. So anyway, uh, good good stuff, uh, Dan. We are almost out of time. Um, we'll pick this up again next week. But thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can find this resource and more on our website, calvary.church slash resources or calvary.church slash Jude1. Hope that you have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.